Welcome to all of you. We're going to get started. And uh, the first thing I'd like to do is just invite you to stand up. Uh, the book of Acts says that the early church continued in prayer and in fellowship. So I want to invite you to stand up and greet someone uh, that you, you don't know or that you haven't talked to very much. Just welcome them and uh, let, the, let them know you're glad we're here. All right. Now that we're done with fellowship, uh, we got a couple announcements and then Jared's going to come and, and read our call to worship this morning. Uh, grab a bulletin. If you don't have one already, make sure that you get one. Uh, what, one thing I just want to highlight, obviously tonight, uh, for our ladies, uh, they're going to have a, a, what's it called? A women's night, women's fellowship night. And we've got a special guest speaker coming in and they're going to have coffee and desserts. And so it should just be a great time. Uh, even if you haven't planned or, or on that, uh, you, you ought to be here tonight. It's from 6 to 8. The information's in the bulletin there. And then um, next week on the 22nd, we also have on Sunday evening a, a special guest speaker come in. And uh, he's going to do a couple sessions on, on every member ministry. And uh, this is something I think we need to begin to highlight here because a lot of times we think about um, we think about ministry as something that pastors do. And so... As, as church people, we kind of sit back and we get ministered to, but really the, the picture in the New Testament is that all of us are ministers of sorts. All of us are called to be active in ministry, and uh, he's going to share about that. They have really ingrained that idea and that principle in their church and been effective and, and seen the Lord bless that, and so he's going to come and speak on that on July 22nd. It'll start at four, uh, and then we'll have a second session after after the first, so Please uh, plan to be here for that as well. Jared, you go ahead and come for our call to worship this morning. Good morning. Hey, that wasn't too bad. I do want to welcome you all this morning, and I want to send out a special welcome to all of our visitors. Uh, some of you all I've seen for the first time today, and others have been visiting several times, and I just want you to know that we are Definitely glad that you're here, uh, grateful for you being with us this morning. If at any point you all have questions, there's always that weird balance with for pastors and church people, knowing how much information people want. We don't want to be in anybody's face and making you feel uncomfortable like we're putting a high-pressure game on you. But if you have questions about what life in Union Baptist Church is like, what membership would be like, how we move toward that, uh, what activities we've got going on, we would love to answer those questions, so you can talk to me or Vance Hoppy or Andrew. You can grab somebody else here that you might know. Uh, we want to we want to give you the information you want. We want to engage with you at a level that, that makes you feel relatively comfortable <clears throat> so that we can engage you very vigorously with the gospel. Now, this morning, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 55. As Andrew sort of mentioned, I, I think he said it already, uh, we're kind of focusing a little bit now on... Uh, the invitations of Christ. I know he sent something out in Slack or over text or something about that, and I, I wanted to bring an invitation passage to you this morning from the Old Testament because we need to consider uh, that, that there is an open invitation from the Lord to everybody here this morning. There will be an invitation in the message, but I want you to see it right off the pages of Scripture from the prophet Isaiah speaking for God himself, and, and notice how he invites us to come to him this morning. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. 
come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Let me pause here and just let you understand that that the ultimate thing that, that Isaiah is driving at here is not food or milk or real water. He's, he's speaking metaphorically of spiritual things. And the offer is, is that if your soul is thirsty, if you are hungry, if you need more of God, then God is available. And the offer is then to come. And that's what he's, he's using these as, as images of how we live our lives, trying to fill the void in our lives with, with other things besides God. So we'll pick up again in verse 4. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Will you pray with me? Fathers, we gather here this morning. We are thankful for the offer of the gospel. We are thankful, God, that it's not just in one obscure passage tucked away in one of the shortest books of the Bible that no one ever reads. God, we are thankful that it's on page after page after page that it was the, the whole scope and thrust of the ministry of Christ to invite sinners to come to God to be satisfied. But God, I know myself and I know the hearts of the people that are here this morning and I know that fundamentally what your word teaches is true, that no one seeks God, that no one really understands. And, and we see that because we all sin because we're trying to satisfy a craving. We think that that if we go after what we've lusted for, whether it's money or power or position, Lord, or, or whatever it might be for more possessions, we think that will satisfy our souls, that it will make us feel better and fulfilled, and it never does. It always leads to more longing, and it, it leaves us more and more empty in the long run, and we think that less, less and less that things can satisfy. But this passage today says that God can satisfy, that Jesus Christ can satisfy. And the offer is there for everyone here this morning whose life is messed up, and that's everyone in this room. And we have longings and desires, and we want, and we don't feel those wants and, and cravings met in the things of this life. The offer is there to come and taste of Christ, to come and have Him, to drink deeply of the water of life that, that issues from Him. And that will satisfy the soul. And so, God, I pray that, that You would help us, those who, who have believed, to live lives that... that preach that message, to live lives, God, that showcase that reality that we are satisfied in Christ. And God, that those who have come in here this morning that are without Christ, that do not know what ultimate satisfaction is, that you would work in them through the gospel message and the invitation today to draw them to yourself, God. We desire to see sinners saved because we love people and we want the best for them. And we know, God, that ultimately that's what you want. And so we ask that you would do what no sermon can do, that you would open the hearts of your people to receive your word and be saved. God, that you would get all the glory and that we would be ransomed and redeemed and satisfied. And we ask it in Christ's name this morning. Amen. Have our ushers come forward at this time. I hope you understand the words of that song. and.
you know, at the heart of the gospel, that, that song hits at the heart of the gospel, uh, the Father was satisfied to look on Him and to pardon us, to, to take our sins and to place them on Christ so that He might place Christ's righteousness on us. That the heart of the gospel is, is a trade. We get Christ's righteousness and He takes our sins. What a great truth. Pray with me. Lord, we, we are eternally grateful for the salvation that comes to us through Jesus Christ exclusively on the basis of His work. We, we thank you, Lord, that uh, although we were sinners, you were willing to put your son in our place and to condemn him and to pour your wrath upon him that you might deliver us and that you might forgive us, that we might have fellowship with you as if we were sons and daughters that belong to you. Lord, what a, what a glorious truth. Thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that that would shape our heart, that that would shape every aspect of our lives. Lord, even as we come to give, in light of that, how can we not be a giving people so that others might know that truth? We pray that you would bless this offering, help us to be generous uh, in, in our giving of it, and, and Lord, may it be used uh, in, in a way that, uh, that is faithful to you and that does bring about the conversion of others through sharing the gospel. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Hey, our children can be dismissed at this time. While they're headed out, if you would go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning, turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. We're going to be in verse number 37. We are uh, have concluded our, our sermon for now on fellowship and Christian community. Uh, but as I stated in that, I don't want that to be uh, a temporary series that we go through and then we move through it and we forget all about it. Uh, I hope that that becomes the heartbeat of this church and no doubt it's going to be something that we that we come back to again and again. Uh, our vision includes part of that. You know, our, our vision is to glorify God by growing disciples of Jesus Christ in community. And that last part in community is, is so important. And uh, so I don't want us to forget that and we will come back to that again. But this morning I've been kind of, I felt led to, uh, eventually we're going to go back to the book of Ephesians and continue working through there, but, uh, you know, just felt stirred in my heart that it's been a while since we've seen the Lord save anyone. We know that that's up to God, that's not up to us. We, we uh, do our part, we share uh, the gospel, we preach Christ, we evangelize, and it's up to the Lord to, to draw people, to save them. It's, that's the work of the Lord uh, and yet, I think from Scripture, I think we have hope to believe that as we preach the gospel, that we'll see fruit, that we will see people come to know the Lord. I think there's a couple of reasons why we have that confidence, because in the Great Commission, after Jesus had been resurrected, uh, he sent his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples. But before he told them to go into the world and make disciples, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples Jesus has all authority. He has power. And so we, I think, with good reason, should have an anticipation when the gospel is preached that people will be converted, that they will be saved. Paul said this in Romans 1.16, that the, the gospel message, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The, the gospel is a message that comes with some power to it. So when it's proclaimed faithfully, I think we as God's people should have an anticipation that, that people will be converted, that they will 
believed the gospel. So we want to preach it boldly. So when we come to a, a period of time, and many churches have this, they go for some period of time when no one is coming to Christ, no one is being saved. I think one of the things that we've got to do is examine ourselves and say, are, are, are there deficiencies in, in us? Are we failing maybe to faithfully evangelize our children? That might be part of it. Are we, are we being uh, careful to make sure that they know and believe the gospel? Are we teaching it to them? Do our sons know more about Fortnite than they know about the gospel of Jesus Christ? That could be part of the problem. Are we too focused on material things that we're not focusing on, on eternal matters? Are we failing as a church, all of us, to be the disciple makers that Jesus has called us to be? He said for His disciples to go into all the world and make disciples. Are we faithfully doing that? Or have we become distracted? Are we gathering? Are we, are we busy about the work of gathering that Jesus said we should be? Jesus said that you're either gathering with me or you're scattering. You're either with me or against me. You're either gathering with me or you're scattering. Are we busy about the work of gathering souls? Have we, as a church, have we neglected to consistently pray for the salvation of our loved ones? That, that might be the, the case. That might be part of the deficiency. Jesus, or, or James said in the book of James, that you have not because you ask not. Are we asking the Lord to save and to work in our midst? That may be part of our deficiency. Have we failed to pray for laborers to go into the, the vineyard? Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful. There are many who need to be saved. There are many who need to hear the gospel. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And he says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord to, of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Are we praying that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest? And are we being the laborers in the harvest? I want us then as a church, I want to call us to a time of concentrated prayer over the next several weeks. And really, this should be part of the life of the church all the time, but over the next several weeks especially, to be intentional to pray for the salvation of the lost. We have children, we have husbands, we have neighbors, we have co-workers that need to know the Lord. And, and it may be part of the, the problem is that we are not being faithful in, in our obligation. So I'm, I'm calling us to a time of concentrated prayer that we might see the Lord save and, and perhaps even fasting. When, when we see something wrong that needs to be corrected, one of the things that God's people do often in their prayer is to accompany that with fasting and just crying out to the Lord to save those who need to be saved. It's because of this then that I want to enter into this uh, short series before we move back into the book of Ephesians because I just want to make sure on our part that we are faithfully proclaiming the gospel in, in our preaching. I, I seek to always lift up Christ, no matter the topic, no matter what we're talking about, to point people to Christ. Uh, but so much of our preaching is preaching to people who are believers already. And I point them to Christ, but it, it sometimes comes with an assumption that you know Christ. And so I just want to be intentional over the next several weeks to preach the gospel and to invite sinners to be saved. And that word might be offensive to some of you like, well... You know, you don't have to call us sinners. Well, we're all sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need to be saved. Uh, and so that is the thought process behind uh, this series. I want to preach the gospel and clearly invite sinners to be saved. It's because of that that we've come to uh, John chapter 7 because 
As I think about invitations to believe in Christ, I, I can't find any clearer than, than this. It, it is a metaphor that's used, but once we met, understand that metaphor, it's a beautiful and a clear invitation to anyone who desires to, to come to Christ and be saved. So read it with me. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and He cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. What we see here is an invitation to Christ. What is this invitation? Well, we're going to see that it is an invitation to, to believe. Jesus says to come to me and drink. Anyone who is thirsty, come and drink. But what does it mean when he says come and drink? What does that mean to come to Christ? What does it mean to drink? What is, he, what is he talking about here? Well, we need to understand what that is so that in inviting you to come to Christ, you know exactly what we're talking about. Coming to Jesus is not some sort of vague spiritual notion that we are free to define in whatever way that we choose. When Jesus says those words, whoever is thirsty, come and drink, He means something very specific there. And we, we can see it in a couple different ways. Uh, Jesus is using a metaphor here uh, but to come to Christ means to believe Jesus claims to be the Son of God sent from heaven to be your Savior and, and to entrust your life to Him. That's what we're talking about. When Jesus says, come to Me and, and to drink, He's talking about believing His claims to be the Son of God, the Savior who has been sent to redeem you and to save you and then to entrust your life to him. Now, I think we see that this is exactly what he means when we look to the context of the passage. When we look at the surrounding uh, context, we, we understand what Jesus means more clearly. Jesus' identity is the question in this passage, and it's really the question throughout most of John. Who is Jesus? The religious leaders of his day are questioning this. There's this man who is teaching and the people are saying, this guy's teaching like nobody we've ever heard before. There's this person who is doing these great miracles, these great works. And the question is, who is this guy? Who is he? And that's what's going on. The religious leaders of the day did not like Jesus. They did not want to believe what Jesus was saying about Himself because uh, partly, uh, probably a great part of it was the fact that they didn't want to lose their place of authority. There were other factors in it, but that was no doubt a great part of it. And so they were rejecting Jesus. Jesus was teaching things and the people were thinking, wow, this guy sounds great and He's doing these miracles. And, and then the, the, the teachers, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders would come in and uh, they would try to dispel everything that Jesus had been saying. But, but that clearly uh, is what Jesus is, is teaching here. Jesus, in the surrounding passages, has been claiming that He is the Son of God that He is the Messiah and Savior. And that is His identity. He's been preaching this and teaching this in various ways, and the religious leaders of His day are saying, no way, this cannot be true. 
Let's look at John chapter 6 because this part of the context here, and I think this is one of the very clear passages that, that demonstrate what Jesus has been saying about who He is. So look at John 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Here's another metaphor. Uh, on this one that we're looking at, Jesus is water uh, and, and invites us to drink. But here He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen Me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives to Me will come to Me and whoever comes to Me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven. I have come... Uh, like, like, just let those words fall on you this morning. This is what Jesus is claiming. Not that I was born... Or not that as a human being I have a special purpose in life that God has given me this great purpose. I'm a great prophet. But no, He doesn't say that. He says, I have come down from heaven. I was born into this world. I didn't choose to come into this world. You were born into this world. And God may have a purpose in your life. Uh, but that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I came down from heaven. Not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, that is Jesus referring to Himself, everyone who looks on the Son, the Son of God, and believes in Him, should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. In the future, I will resurrect Anyone who believes in Me, who believes that I'm the Son of God who's come from heaven to save them. Well, what was the response of the leaders there? So the Jews grumbled about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? We know this guy. We know where He came from. He did not come down from heaven. How does He now say, I have come down from heaven? So just look at all of the claims of Jesus. He claimed to be the bread of life, to be given by God the Father, to be sent from heaven by the Father for the purpose of saving His people, to be able to resurrect His people on the last day, and to be able to grant eternal life to anyone who believes in Him. Those are the claims of Jesus. That is His identity. And that's why the Jews are saying, no way, we, we don't believe that. How do we know here what this invitation is then? When Jesus says in John 7.37, if anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. What is He saying? Well, He's essentially saying, believe in Me. This is a metaphor that He's using. To come to Him and to drink is a metaphor for having faith and believing in Him. And that's what He's calling on them. This is who I am. I'm the bread of life. I'm the one who can raise you up at the last day. I'm the one who can grant to you eternal life. I've been sent from God my Father and I came down from heaven. That's who I am. The invitation is, come and believe in Me. Trust in Me. Give your life to Me. How do we know that that's the invitation when He says, come and drink? If anyone's thirsty, let him come and drink. Well, look back again at John 6.35. And we can see that, that He's using this as a metaphor because He switches out the terms. John 6.35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So drinking, in this analogy, in this metaphor, 
is believing. They're one and the same. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You would think he would say, whoever drinks will never thirst. But he doesn't say that. He says, whoever believes in me will never thirst. And then again, look at our, our text in John 7, 37. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And then what's the next words? Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said. And so, drinking of Christ is a metaphor that means to believe in Him. So in the Gospel of John, to come to Christ, to believe in Christ, to eat and to drink of Christ are all referring to the same act of believing in and trusting in Jesus Christ. That's why when we have the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, you know, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He's not saying that we literally eat his, his flesh and drink his blood. He's, he's saying this is a way that you express your faith in me. When you partake of communion, when you eat and you drink, it's as if you are taking Christ into your very life, into your heart and in your soul, into your inner being. That's what he's calling on. Ingest him to take him into the heart of who you are by faith. He's calling on you to believe. So when Jesus says to come and drink, this is no different than the great truth that we know from John 3.16 that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever believes on Him, we could say whoever eats of Him, whoever drinks of Him, whoever comes to Him, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the invitation. Now, the invitation comes in a unique setting and it also says something about Jesus' claims here, I think. And and John, uh, he says here on the last day, look at verse 37 again, on the last day of the feast, the great feast. We know from earlier in this chapter that Jesus is, this is talking about uh, the feast of booths or the feast, and that's B-O-O-T-H, not booze like alcohol, the feast of booze or tabernacle, uh, tabernacles. And uh, this feast was what, what one person has referred to, it was the highest celebration uh, only Jeff is laughing at that one. Nobody else, everybody else just straight laced. Nobody's laughing at the Feast of Booze. We've all seen a Feast of Booze before, but that's not what it was. Uh, the Feast, let's just call it the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? So we can get rid of any confusion. The Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, this was one of the highest and most holy celebrations. This was the big deal, one of the big deals in, in Jewish life. What, what the Feast of Tabernacles was, was that people would come to Jerusalem and they were celebrating, they were really commemorating a couple things. One, one, they were looking back to what God had done for them in the Exodus. The people had been delivered from Egypt and they had gone out in the wilderness and in the wilderness they lived in tents, they lived in tabernacles. And so they were celebrating the fact that God had delivered them from slavery and that when they were in the wilderness, He provided for them, He protected them, and He took care of them. One of the, one of the great uh, celebrations uh, that, that took place in this time was that they would commemorate how God gave them water uh, from, from the rock. Do you remember that story? The people were thirsty. They're on the brink of of starving to death and not having enough water. And so they're crying out and they're grumbling and the Lord tells Moses to go to the rock. And two different times he does this. One time he's supposed to strike the rock. One time he's supposed to speak to the rock. And then water miraculously comes forth from the rock. And the people are provided for and their life is spared because God in His providence and His care took, took care of them. And so one of the celebrations that they, that they had 
during this Feast of Tabernacles is that every morning as they would offer sacrifices in the temple, the, the priest would go down to the Pool of Siloam and he would have a golden cup and he would go dip this golden cup into this Pool of Siloam and then he would walk back and the people would, like a parade, would walk back with him to the temple. He would come to the altar. Trumpets would be blowing. People would be shouting and singing. They would sing the Halal, which was Psalm 113 to 118. There was all kinds of praise going on. And then he would take this, this cup or bowl of water, this golden uh, bowl of water, and dump it over the altar. And it was just a, a time, a, a celebration, a commemoration of the fact that God had provided for Israel when they were in the wilderness. That's part of what was going on in this feast. But the, the, the celebration here also looked forward. Not only did it look back to when God provided water in the wilderness, but it also looked forward in, an, in sort of an anticipation to the time of the Messiah. Because one of the things that we see in the prophets about this Messiah, who the Savior who was going to come, one of the ways that it's described so often in, in the prophets is that this will be a time when there will be an abundance of water. The Lord will provide for us. And this wasn't just just any old water. Of course, they lived in an arid climate, so water was, you know, that's life, and so God's going to provide for us once again. But, but it is even heightened a little bit. This was some kind of spiritual water that would bring more than just natural life. It, it, would, it would be bring spiritual life. So we see places like Isaiah 12, 3, Therefore with joy, therefore with joy you shall draw water from out of the well. Or Ezekiel 47, verse 1, then he brought me back to the door of the temple. There's a picture of the temple in Jerusalem. And behold, water was issuing, issuing from before the temple or before the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced the east. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live for this water, for where this water goes, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the rivers Go. That's Ezekiel 47, 6 through 9, some pieces of that there. And then there's Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8. And this actually was one of the passages that would be cited or recited uh, when, when they were taking part in this ceremony at the Feast of Tabernacles. It says, On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. So you see, and this is just a, a couple of passages, this, this theme of water and, and this time of the Messiah, they're, they're all over. It, it pictures and it depicts the fact that the Lord will provide for his people. He will give them spiritual life through this water. So now just imagine all of that in your background. All of what Jesus had been saying about being the Son of God, the Savior, and all this ritual that is happening surrounding the Feast of Tabernacles and this ceremony of pouring water out on the altar on the last day of the feast. They've been doing this for seven days on the last day of the feast. No doubt, maybe, maybe right as they're pouring this water over there. We don't, we don't know the timing. But, but this is all in the people's background. Jesus stands up and he cries out with a loud voice, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now with, with that background in mind, what, what an invitation. Jesus is clearly saying here, 
Come and believe in Me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. I'm the One that's been promised from the Old Testament. I'm the One that is going to give you living water so that you'll never thirst again. I am the One who can give you eternal life. That's the invitation. Well, this morning let's consider not only what, it, what was the invitation, but what, what does it mean to thirst? Because He, he makes an appeal Although it's, it's in, inclusive to everyone, anyone, he says, can come and drink. But, but notice, it's not just anyone, but anyone who thirsts. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That's the only condition. You, you need to be thirsty. Well, what does it mean? What does he mean to, to thirst? Well, we know what thirst is. Thirst is an innate, intense longing. It's an innate, intense longing for some spiritual good that we perceive to be essential for life and our well-being. We can just think about that as we compare. Obviously, Jesus is here talking about something spiritual and not literal water. But let's just break that down here. Think about thirst. Thirst is an innate desire. Nobody has to tell you in the morning, hey, go, go drink some water. Go drink something. It's innate. You just wake up. You want something to drink. You get hot. You long for something to drink. It's innate. You don't have to teach your children to drink. They, they know to drink. They, they understand that. It's an innate desire. It's also an intense desire. It creates a strong longing or desire within us. If, you, if you're deprived of water when you're thirsty, it becomes an all-consuming desire. It's all you can think about. No matter what else is going on, no matter what other important things are going on, if you are thirsty, you are going to try to find water. It's a strong, intense desire. It's, in, it's essential. It's something that's essential for our life and well-being. We long for it because God made us that way because we need water. If you don't have water, you will die. It's essential for your life and well-being. We have this inborn desire because we cannot live without it. Just imagine if you never got thirsty. Imagine if you had to teach your children to drink, but they had no inborn, innate desire to do it. Uh, we, we may not survive very long. Now let's apply this to spiritual things because that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is obviously talking about something spiritual and not a literal thirst for water. He is, I think, indicating that in the same way that our bodies thirst, so our souls were created with certain innate longings. There are things that we desire that you don't, nobody teaches you to want them. Nobody makes you desire them, but you want them deeply and strongly. They're, they're innate. Your soul has an intense desire for some things that are spiritual. And they cause you, this desire causes you to be dissatisfied until these desires are met. We long for these things because we know that we must have them for life and for our well-being. But what is our problem? Our, our problem is this, that we recognize those longings sometimes. We, we recognize that there's something within us. There's a thirst within us, but we misplace what those longings are all about. We look for satisfaction in things that won't satisfy. We, we have a thirst. We recognize it. We, 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 we see it in our lives. There's a hole there. There's a thirst. There's an intense longing for something. And so we begin to look for it in, in various ways. Too often we look for it in the wrong places. If I'm thirsty and I go out to the garage and, design, and, and, and decide to grab a thing of motor oil, 
and drink that, that's not going to satisfy my longing. It's not going to satisfy my thirst. And it's actually going to damage my body. Right? Maybe even kill me. The same way, we have a spiritual thirst and we're going around drinking spiritual motor oil. We're looking for the fulfillment of these desires in all different places and they never, they never fulfill us. They, they always just leave us wanting something else. They always leave us dissatisfied. So we run to the next thing and then we run to the next thing, but, but we never find what it is that our soul is looking for. You know, God created you and He's the one that created you with these longings and with this thirst, with this desire. And so I think it's only right that we look to Him to find out what our needs are. Jesus tells us actually here that He is what our soul is longing for. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to Me. Let him drink of Me. Jesus is what your soul is longing for. Jesus is where you will find satisfaction. You thought maybe it was in a relationship. You thought it was in a bigger house. You maybe thought it was in your family. You maybe thought it was in your health and your vitality. You maybe thought it was traveling. Maybe you thought it was a million different things. But the only thing that will satisfy your thirst, your, the longing of your soul, Jesus says, is Him. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. Believe in Him. And in so doing, your soul will be satisfied. What is it for which we, we long? What, what is this desire that we have? Well, all we have to do is look to what Jesus provides in order to understand what that desire is. He's the one that, that fulfills that longing, but, but in what ways? How does He fulfill our longings? As, 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 how does He quench our thirst? Well, the first thing is that He gives us pardon. Pardon. You know, many of you perhaps are under a great burden because of your sin. People all over are restless and they carry about the, the weight and the burden, the guilt about things that they have done in the past. They know that their actions are wrong. You know, the Bible teaches that God created all of us with a conscience. And uh, the book of Romans says that our, our conscience is either accusing us or excusing us. And for many of us, our conscience is accusing us it's playing over the things that you've done wrong, the ways that you haven't been the husband that you ought to be, the way that, ways that you haven't been the wife that you ought to be, or the father or mother, the ways that you've fallen short, the mistakes that you've made in the past. And, and our conscience brings that up again and again and again. As we come into contact with God's law, it, it only heightens that as God reveals our sin to us and exposes all the ways that we've fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, uh, many people, uh, deal with uh, the, this weight, this guilt that they have. Perhaps that's you here this morning. A lot of people attempt to quench that thirst in various ways. Some, some try to quench their thirst for forgiveness, for pardon, by minimizing their sin. I'm really not that bad. You know, maybe comparing to other people. Well, I've, I know I've screwed up. I know I've messed up, but they're a little worse than, than I am. Look, look at the way that they live. At least I'm not like them. Comparing to others. Some of us are just thankful that our memories are not that great and we're able to forget some of the things that we've done in, in the past. We put them out of mind. For other people, they try to quench this thirst by being religious or just by being a good person. You know, I know I'm guilty. I know I've done some things wrong, but I go to church and I, I try to give money. I try to help the poor. I try to be a good father or mother. 
And so, so religion and spirituality, being a good person, some people literally medicate their guilt. There are many people who, who cannot deal with the weight of the things that they've done. So they turn to drugs, whether they are legal or illegal. Some of and just simply act as if they don't care about the things that they've done wrong. They, they just suppress. Their conscience comes and accuses them and, and they just suppress that and they continue to go on in, in their sin. Yet despite our, our best efforts, the reality is you cannot rid yourself of that sense of conviction and guilt. All of those attempts are like drinking salt water to quench your thirst. It just isn't going to work. Do you long to rid yourself of guilt? Do you, do you long to be pardoned and to know the forgiveness of, of God? Well, Jesus invites you here this morning to come to Him. Come to Me, all you who are, who are thirsty. Everyone who thirsts, and I will give you of this water to drink. If this is, is you, come to Christ and listen, listen to the promises that we have when we come to Christ. This is how He quenches our thirst. Isaiah 1.18 Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. You see, you don't do anything to make up for your sins. You don't just try harder or do better. The promise that Christ holds out is that He'll wash your sins away. That, that He'll cleanse you. That though they are red like, uh, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. He will wash your sins away. It's what we sang about earlier that Jesus stands in our place on the cross and He takes our punishment so that we can be forgiven. There's forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. Are you thirsty? Do you long to have your guilt done away with? Then come to Christ and have your sins washed away. I was reading this morning in Isaiah 53 and this passage just always strikes me. Isaiah 53, verse 4, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We're all guilty. We've all rebelled against the Lord. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. This is the Gospel. This is the way that you can have uh, forgiveness of your sins. This is the way that your sins can be washed away. God doesn't just forget about them. He takes your sin and He places them on His Son, the spotless Lamb of God. And Jesus dies in your place so that you can have complete forgiveness. This is why we don't have to stand and wait and hope, you know, well, when I stand before the Lord on the judgment day, I hope He'll kind of overlook and I hope that He'll forgive me. No, if you believe in Christ, He has already forgiven you from every sin that you've ever committed or ever will commit. A second thing that uh, is part of our thirst, a second thing that shows us our need of Christ is personal relationship. You know, we, can't des we cannot satisfy as human beings you just look around us. We cannot satisfy our desire for relationship. But by all measures, all, all the uh, surveys that are done, one of the greatest problems of our time, despite all of the modern communication that we have, the instant communication, one of the greatest problems of our time is that people are lonelier now than they ever have been. 
And they walk around with a form of communication, an open door to the world and everybody that they know, and yet we are deeply lonely. People spend hours scrolling through the details of the lives of their so-called friends, yet that never meets that, that inner desire, that longing that we have for relationship. People are looking for relationship and connection, and they cannot seem to satisfy that longing. People jump from relationship to, to relationship, looking for it, and they always end up dissatisfied because it doesn't meet that, that need. The reason for this is because we are created to be in fellowship with our Creator. He made us for Himself. He made us to be in relationship and to have fellowship with Him. And so it's as Augustine has said, Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in Thee. It is only through coming to know our Heavenly Father in a personal way and having a, a living, real, personal relationship with Him that that longing that we have for a relationship will be satisfied. If you have this morning a deep longing for connection, then Jesus graciously invites you to come to Him and satisfy your thirst. If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Do you long for personal relationship? Paul said, that he would give up everything so that he might know Christ. You know, Paul didn't say, hey, I'm changing out my religious preferences. I'm no longer Jewish. I'm going to be a Christian. He, he didn't say, you know, I've, I've weighed out the, the, the arguments for, uh, you know, ju uh, for, for Judaism and for Christianity. And I've just decided that this makes more sense. No, he said, look, all this stuff that I thought was so great, I am throwing it out. It's like garbage compared to knowing Christ, to having this personal relationship with Christ. That's what would lead, lead Paul. to it, was, it wasn't just uh, you know, superior arguments or better intellectual thought process. It was the fact that he came to know Jesus Christ personally that caused him to leave all of that behind. We read of this personal relationship and the personal presence of God in our lives in Psalm 133. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. To have the Lord with us. Jesus told His disciples as He was getting ready to go back again in that great commission. Lo, He says, I am with you always. I, I am with you Always. It is a personal relationship. In the book of John, Jesus said that the Spirit has been with you and He will be in you. And Paul says that the Spirit of God lives within us and bears with us, bears with our spirit, that we are children of God. The Spirit of God, if you know Christ, comes to live within you and, and He bears witness with you that you are a son of God. There is relationship. It is deeply personal to know the Lord. There's a satisfaction in knowing and experiencing the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. If you long for that, Jesus says, come to Me, all you who are thirsty, and I will give you to drink. There's also a longing for purity. Many of you perhaps are troubled not only by the guilt of your sin, but by the ongoing struggle of it. You feel shame and self-loathing because you are unable to overcome it. You know what's bad about you. You know the flaws that you have. You know the sins that you struggle with, but you can't seem to overcome them no matter how much you hate them. You, you continue to fall right back into them. 
And it creates a longing with you. I, I wish that I could be free of these desires. I wish I could be free of this attitude. I wish I could be free of this depression. And yet you find yourself just falling back in it again and again and again. Jesus invites you this morning, come to Me if you are thirsty and I will give you water to drink. We know that Paul understood this this reality. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, Paul said. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Can anybody identify with that? I think I'm right there. I have the desire, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. That leads Paul to conclude in Romans 7, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The answer is that Christ is the one who can deliver you. Christ is the one that can free you from the sin that continues to dominate you. So in Romans chapter 6, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Are you tired of being enslaved to sin? Come to Christ and He will free you. Finally, there's a thirst within us for peace. In this world where everything seems chaotic and uncertain, where injustice abounds, many are thirsty for something stable, something strong, and something righteous. Don't, don't you long for peace here this morning? I was just reading this week an article. Some of this in, in, in America, we don't even sometimes pick up on the news that's going on around the world. 6,000 people this year in, in the country of Chad in Africa that have been slaughtered. 6,000 people since the beginning of, of this year unjustly slaughtered by Boko Haram. There's political upheaval in our own country. You just look around us at the, the, the venom and the hatred that we see spewed from, from both sides. Think about the threat of nuclear war, about the divisiveness over things like race. Don't, don't you long for all of those things to be corrected? Don't you long for oppression and murder and greed and lies and political games to be over with? Don't you long for that? If you thirst for that, the answer is not in the Republican Party. The answer is not in the Democratic Party. The answer is in Jesus Christ. If you're thirsty for that, if you long for peace, come to Christ. Jesus invites you to come to Him and be satisfied. Jesus one day is going to bring a judgment upon this world, and the wicked will give an account. Psalm 9.5 says, You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever. Jesus is going to come and bring this world into subjection to perfect righteousness. He will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And listen to Isaiah 9.7. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. Do you long for peace? The kingdom that Jesus is going to bring in, there will be no end to the peace on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice. You know, an everlasting kingdom wouldn't in and of itself be a good thing, but this is going to be a kingdom where there is peace and where there is justice and with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus is going to establish a righteous kingdom that will exist forever. Do you long for that? Come to Christ. If you're thirsty for that, 
Don't, don't look to politics. Look to Jesus Christ. He's the one that can answer that. Now, a couple things as we close this morning, and we, we will close here. Just look at the inclusiveness of, of this invitation. If anyone thirsts. Jesus here, there were other times where He taught the twelve privately. Sometimes He cr taught crowds. But, but this is a unique time in which it says on the last day of the feast, on the great day, He stood up in, in the crowd. O oftentimes teachers would sit and people would gather. But Jesus stands here and He doesn't just talk in a normal tone. He cries out. Just imagine this. You know, it seems like everybody in Israel has come to Jerusalem for this feast. There are great crowds of people who had made this journey and Jesus is standing in the temple and He stands up and He cries out and He says, if anyone thirst, let him come to Me and drink. It is an invitation that goes out to everyone who hears Him. It is an inclusive invitation. You see, the only thing that He requires in this is that you're thirsty. He doesn't say if anyone's righteous, if anyone's got it all together, if anyone is really a good person, come to Me and be one of My disciples. Be saved. No, He says anyone. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter the millions of ways that you've fallen short. It doesn't matter what class you're in or what status you're in or who's rejected you or what you've been through. He says all you have to do is thirst. Anyone who thirsts, come to Me and drink. The only requirement is to be thirsty. He offers this to hypocrites and to the self-righteous, to the religiously confused and the vile sinner. He offers it to all. All you have to do is see your need of Him. There's that song to that effect. The only fitness He requireth is that you see your need of Him. That's all that Christ requires. Look at the, the, the liberalness of, of this offer. Jesus offers this in a crowd of people, many of whom who have been working for His arrest and for His, His destruction, these Pharisees. Jesus issued this call to the Pharisees who were trying to kill Him and get rid of Him. Just imagine the grace that goes out in this. Jesus stands up and calls to the very people who want Him dead. And He says, look, if you're thirsty, come to Me and drink. The liberalness of this offer. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, well, I've done a lot. I've... I've, I've been sinful. I've been a hypocrite. I've, I've been self-righteous. I've done all of those things. I don't know. Jesus invites you this morning. All you have to do is see your need of Him. If you see your need, come. And He will satisfy the thirst and the longings of your soul. This morning as we close our service, I want to invite you to come to Christ. We're going to have an invitation. I'm going to invite you if you want to come forward and express your faith in Jesus Christ. But I want to be clear this morning that the invitation is not to come forward in, in the church. Uh, there are a lot of people who have come forward to a church but have never come to Christ. And there are a lot of people who have come to Christ who have never come forward in the church. To come to Christ means that we come to Him with our faith, not with our feet. We don't come to Christ by coming to the front of the church, but if the Lord has stirred you, if you want to believe in Christ, if you want to be saved this morning, come to Christ. We, we saw that that means believe in Him, trust in Him, give Him your life and your heart. And if you do that, I would invite you to come this morning so that you can make that public, so that we can celebrate with you. I'm going to ask Daniel to come and let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we, we pray. We pray that You would draw sinners this morning. We pray that You would help us 
rightly identify those thirsts and those longings of our heart and soul and that we would see that the answer for those things comes not in anything in this world, but it comes through Your Son, Jesus Christ. Open our eyes that we might see it. Lord, may we come to Christ. May we drink this morning. And may our souls be satisfied. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.